Hello and welcome to the Poetry Exchange. I'm Fiona Bennett. And I'm Michael Schaefer. Shall we start with our news, Michael? Yes, yes, let's start with our news, we must. We're very, very excited and pleased and thrilled to be nominated for the Most Original Podcast in the British Podcast Awards. Yeah, it's just brilliant, isn't it? I mean, to be one of the five most original podcasts this year is just terrific. When people were talking about the Podcast Awards, I read somewhere somebody saying podcasts are often a labour of love. And I think this is really true. Mm. There are lots of people out there making amazing podcasts and it's really worth going to the British Podcast Awards site because if you want to find yourself some new podcasts to listen to, there's lots of good ideas there. But yeah, it is a labour of love and we would not be nominated as one of the most original podcasts were it not for all the people who've been involved in the project and you, the listeners, really chiming in and helping us stay motivated, keep going and keep producing this curious thing that is Poems as Friends. So it's fantastic that this month's episode is another of our international exchanges. And we're delighted that Nicholas Lachlan found enough time in his extremely busy schedule to talk to us. Nicholas is Programme Director of the BOCAS Lit Fest, which is Trinidad and Tobago's annual literature festival. And in fact, it's just taken place. So we were indeed very lucky to get some time with him. Michael, you and I weren't the team that actually did this exchange, but I know that you were just listening to the conversation that we're about to share and I just wondered what struck you as you were listening in. Yeah well when I was listening to it at the beginning I thought oh my god I'm going to struggle with this one because when I first heard the poem I thought I have no idea what to make of this. It does appear to be a bit of a riddle and then when John and Andrea were talking to Nicholas about it Apparently it is a riddle, and, uh, and so don't be put off if at the beginning you feel that you're a little bit lost. Nicholas does a brilliant job of explaining that for him it is a kind of inexhaustible poem, and one that's been with him for quite some time, and, and that he anticipates staying with him throughout his life. So um, stick with it, and it, it really bears fruit. Fantastic. So you'll be listening to John and Andrea talking about Proem by Martin Carter, the poem that's been a friend to Nicholas. It's a um, fascinating poem. Um, A lot to think about. Would you read it for us? Not in the saying of you are you said. Baffled and like a root stopped by a stone, you turn back questioning the tree you feed. But what the leaves hear is not what the roots ask. Inexhaustibly, being at one time what was to be said, and at another time what has been said, the saying of you remains the living of you, never to be said but enduring. You change with the change that changes, and yet are not of the changing of any of you. Ever yourself, you are always about to be yourself in something else, ever with me. 
So when did you first come across this poem? I probably first read this poem around the time that I first read Martin Carter at all, which would have been as an undergraduate at university. Um, I can't say that I remember very much of what we actually did in our classes or whether I wrote a paper or anything like that, but I do remember reading Carter's poems. So this particular one, poem, is from the mid-1970s. Um, and I remember, for some reason, even you know, when I was quite young, I probably would have been, I don't know, what, 21 or something when I first read this, um, being very struck by it, not just by the kind of riddling aspect of it, the sound of the poem follows the sense of it. It's this kind of, you know, sort of sinuous kind of reaching down, you know, it sort of mimics the action of the roots that he describes, the roots burrowing down to something. Mm. And the lines of the poem and the sound of the words themselves want to sort of seem to, to sneak down through something. They're reaching for something, but it, it's it's hard to say what it is. Mm. Yes. I mean, it, it is hard to say what it is, and it's, uh, I'm, I'm almost a little relieved to hear you say that, because I think on first reading, the sinuous quality, the riddling quality that you talk about, um, yeah, part of me is kind of going, oh, right, let's yeah. sort of piece this out. But actually, there's a sort of magic happening because it's not, because of its ambiguity. Yeah, I mean, it, it is very much a riddle. Um, mm. I first read it, and I still read it primarily as a poem about about a poem, about what it's like to, to read and write poetry, about trying to, to say this thing, get to the, the roots of something, but never quite doing it, but at the same time doing it while not quite doing it, if that makes any sense. Yes, uh -huh. um, very much so. You, you could very much read it as a love poem. Um, I mean, the, the you in it, I assume the you is, is he's addressing the poem, but the you could be a person. There's absolutely no reason why. And then it becomes a poem about, um, about the impossibility of ever fully grasping the other person, however much you wish to however much you know about them. Um, and I suppose there's also a sense in which it, it's addressed to Carter himself. It's it's a kind of a autobiographical yes. <laughs> poem in the sense that yeah. the, the, you, the you that that he's baffled by is also himself, I think. So when you first read it, what did you feel when you first came across it? How did you figure out um, where it sat with you? If I can remember that far back accurately, <laughs> I mean, I mean... <laughs> I think back then, as a as a young person who writing poetry myself, trying to figure out what what this thing was, what 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 is a poem, what does it mean to write it, how do you write it, I think I must I would have read this almost purely as a poem about the act of writing and the act of mm -hmm. reading. When I think about what it means to write a poem, words like baffled, questioning, inexhaustibly, um, you know, changing, enduring those those kinds of those concepts are still very much to me what I, I you know what I think about and what thrill me and trouble me about about, about reading and writing poetry. Mm -hmm. um, so I, I think I would have taken it as a kind of a, a, a you know a poem about poems, a kind of meta poem. Um, and then I think uh, you know, and, and at, at that time I'd never been to Guyana, but about uh, when I was about thirty, I went visited Guyana for the first time, um, and. And suddenly something else very obvious about the poem, which hadn't been obvious to me before, revealed itself, which is, you know, that, that very, the, at the beginning, that first image of the root and the trees and the leaves, mm -hmm. actually encountering the Guyanese landscape and being out in the rainforest. And I suddenly saw that it, there's a sense in which it's, it's not a metaphorical tree only, you know, the, the roots, mm -hmm. the stones, the tree, they are real trees, real stones, real leaves. Mm -hmm. So now I, I can kind of read it as a, something that, that's very that's set in a very specific place in a very specific landscape that I've seen and that I've experienced. And so that sensory, those sensory memories of what it's like to actually be in the rainforest, the smell of it and the 
feeling of the humidity and so on. That also comes off the poem for me. This this line, staying with the trees for a moment, mm. if we might. But what the leaves hear is not what the roots ask. What yeah. do you make of that? It, I, I don't know if it's fair to pick out single lines in such a sinuous poem and to try and... But I, I felt that I had to from, from you finding those trees. It, it makes me think of, well, first of all, a, a tree in, in the... I mean, to be very literal, a tree in the Guyanese rainforest might be 200 feet tall. We're talking, you know, vast trees, um, you know, gigantic things stretching up to the forest canopy. You're down on the ground and it's completely dark in the middle of the day and no sunlight gets through. Um, so to me, it, it's it's... It's almost just over literally. It makes me think of the distance between the roots and the leaves. But then metaphorically, what does that mean? The distance between what the poet thought he wanted to do and what he actually did, what the reader thought he was finding in the poem and what he actually found. You know, the, 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 the sap that has to flow all the way from the roots all the way up to the leaves at the very top of the tree and everything that intervenes along the way to make that not a straightforward. So in other words, it's not a... It's, communication is not always straightforward, I guess would be the, mm. the, the, the way to kind of to boil it down. Of course, Carter puts it far more beautifully and mysteriously than that. Um, but I have a very suddenly remembered um, being in the Guyanese rainforest one day and we'd hiked up a little hill and we were looking out over the trees and suddenly there was this almighty crash and I looked down and maybe about half a mile in front of us, one of these gigantic trees for no reason that we could make out, suddenly fell over. It had obviously just reached the end of its lifespan. But it was this moment of incredible drama because you look at this thing and you think it's this unchanging forest canopy. It's been like this, you know, since primeval times, it never changes. And then right at that moment, nature toppled one of these trees and left this gap. You know, there was suddenly this space there. And it was dramatic, not just because it was so unexpected and so yeah. loud and, and the way the landscape had suddenly changed, but also because of what it, it made me understand something different about time, about time scales, the way time works, human time versus nature's time, geological time, all of those things in, in this, this sudden moment. And somehow I think, for me, in my memory at least, that hovers around the poem somewhere as well. struggling a little bit with these lines because they are so beautiful but yeah when change is mentioned let's see one two three four times within these two lines you change with the change that changes and yet are not of the changing of any of you I find that so beautiful because of this sort of turning in turning in turning in I I'm so curious what do you see in that in, in particular I mean, those are you know two lines that I, I couldn't I couldn't even attempt to paraphrase. I think it's you know very often the, the lines in a the line in a poem that's most powerful to me is the one where you look at it from out of the corner of your eye and you think you know what it means, and then as soon as you look at it straight on, you realize you don't. Yes. And your 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 grasp of the meaning is constantly changing, so that you you kind of feel like you're permanently on the verge of getting what this thing is, but you're not quite sure. I mean, it's it's very much a poem about. Um, just you know the fact that perhaps that that comprehension is not a is not a state it's a process maybe there are there are certain things there are phenomena there are emotions there are ideas there are people who um, we never get to a fixed point of saying i understand this i grasp this that is always a process it's always a in in the, the continuous would you go to this poem like would you actively go to it at all or uh, and and 
what might you would you look for anything in particular from it at this point or is it more like that it's just there always and it's always going to mean something new it's always going to be shifting it's a poem i've read many 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 times over the years this one in particular i think um i would say i, I kind of put it to someone once i said that you know if if i was told that the planet was about to explode and I had five minutes to get to the rocket ship mm-hmm. and I could take one poem with me, I, I would, you know, this this might be the one I grab. And I don't know why, it's an instinctive thing, but maybe it's just because it is an inexhaustible poem. Mm-hmm. And that in the rocket ship, in the depths of space, I could continue reading it for many years and, and would continue to, to intrigue me. I'm not quite as old as Carter was when he wrote this poem, I'm about 10 years shy. But as I get older, it reads me more and more a poem about trying to understand just what it means to live and to, to get older, to see your life change and to see people change and this kind of strange thing that happens, the acceleration of time and how your perception of, you know, what matters changes as you get older. I mean, you know, everyone does this. This is, this is the human condition. We all struggle with this. It just makes me find that line, the saying of you remains the living of you never to be said. Exactly. Which is an extraordinary line in the centre of this sinuous poem that can be read about poetry and about the saying <laughs> of things, and yet also somewhere, somewhere there, deep inside it, yeah, the possibility of not of something not being said but living. <laughs> yeah, Still. it's 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 very very audacious of Carter, as you say, in the very middle of the poem, to basically say what I'm what I'm trying to do here is impossible. I'm trying to write a poem about everything you can't say, actually speak about, and, and admitting that in the middle of it. The other thing that's interesting, too, is if you listen to the, the rhythm of the poem, it's a very calm, thoughtful, meditative poem. There's nothing frantic about it. You have mm. to read it slowly. Mm-hmm. Um, the language forces you to read it slowly. It does not trip off yeah. the tongue. And to, you know, to confront such a, a, a terrifying thing, the impossibility of communication, the impossibility of saying what you really want to say, but to be so calm about it and to put it so beautifully and eloquently... Um, is also, it's, it's quite an extraordinary thing. Do you find that this, that he and this poem informs or parallels your own life? How, how do you see the parallels of his life feeding into your own? One of the things that I find intriguing about Carter and, and that, you know, many other Caribbean poets I know find intriguing about Carter is that he thought very intensely about what it meant to be a, a poet in, in a place like this, um, in a in the Caribbean, in an era of, you know, decolonization and, and then this post-colonial state we find ourselves in. Unlike many Caribbean writers of his generation, he didn't leave the Caribbean. He stayed, I mean, he obviously traveled like anybody else, but he never lived outside of Guyana. He could have left. He could have left in the 60s or the 70s or the 50s. He could have become an exile. I suppose as a Caribbean writer myself who has chosen not to leave, and I, I like to think that it was a deliberate decision, that it's not an accident, that I, I, you know, that at some point I decided I would remain here, unlike very many of my contemporaries. I mean, I, I think that, as simple as it sounds, that that is a really important thing, that sense of, uh, of I guess, not just an ethical commitment, but uh, I don't know how to put it. I, I don't even necessarily think that Carter was a conventional patriot. I don't know if you would have described what he felt as patriotism. Um, I think it was something else um, that I, I don't quite have the word for. Could you say a little more about, like, if he were imagining him writing this at the time and his relationship with Guyana at that time, what, what you might, what we might deduce around, 
around that relationship at that point of writing and what that might mean about a reading of it, about that reading mm. of it, of the poem? Yeah. Um, well, the mid-70s, when you wrote this particular poem, when you wrote Proem, um, it was a moment when all of the optimism and euphoria of independence had completely worn out. Um, Guyana was um, under a government that was becoming increasingly dictatorial, um, led by a prime minister who was becoming more and more of a, well, of a dictator. I suppose to, in the midst of that, that time of, of genuine crisis and terror, to be able to sit back and to, to write a poem like this that is so patient, that is so, where the, 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 the time scale of the poem is, is so huge, the, you know, the horizon, the time horizon of the poem is immense, it sort of seems to take in all of human time. But there's obviously a way in which he's commenting on the circumstances around him, the impossibility of understanding what happened to this place that he thought he knew so well, what happened to all these people around him, you know, how could things, you know, devolve in this kind of way? That's all in the poem as well. But to be able to, to do it in this very incredibly philosophical way, to to answer those questions with, with, with pure poetry in a way that, um, that would have made sense to him then, but makes sense to me now, you know, 40 years later in very different times in a very different way, but, but to make sense as intensely. I think that that's quite extraordinary. I'm not sure if I've answered yeah, your yeah, question as well. And, and even the, the way that, that he says, you know, the, the, the root turns back questioning the tree it feeds, that idea of, um, you know, if you think in very practical ways, well, what is the role of a, a writer or an intellectual in the society? The idea that, you know, the turning back and questioning sometimes is the valid response. Um, if you want to kind of put it into that sort of political context that, his job as a poet is not necessarily to continue to bang the drums and wave the flag. Sometimes the thing is to stop and turn and question. Um, that's built into the poem as well. Um, and I think it's just that, you know, as you say, you know, the old aphorism, life is short and art is long. I think there's very much a sense here, of, you know, writing a poem that will, long after he is gone and long after all of his political enemies and friends, companions, long after they're all gone, that the, the poem will remain uh, valid and readable and have have questions, if not answers, that will intrigue future readers. I kind of feel like there's a way in which this is not an irresolute poem, but it's not a resolved poem, if that makes any sense. It doesn't necessarily come to a resolution, because you get to the end of it. And, I mean, my instinct is to immediately go back to the start of it, because I kind yeah. of think, well, you know, that's not the end. That can't be, be the answer. And so I immediately, and it becomes a kind of cycle. And then realizing that, you know, the key to the poem is that it, it does not actually, that it, it remains unresolved, but in a, in a good way, in a productive way, in a way that opens possibilities rather than closes them, I think is, is important. This might just be something that jumped out at me, but I, but I just wanted to, you know, the, the me, <laughs> it's just the me. I just wanted to kind of, that final word, because the poem is you and you and you, and I was just really struck. Well, and can can I pair that also with yeah. the the poem uh -huh. and the me? That just struck me as such interesting bookends. The title is mm. curious. Mm. Yes, I, I have to admit, I'm, I'm sort of in, in a sense seeing this for the first time. That all along, he's been talking about you, 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 and he suddenly finally comes back to me, to himself. Um, 
you know, suddenly inserts himself to the, in the poem in, in the very last breath of it almost. Um, you know, when, when you, there's something very surprising about it. I'm not, I'm not sure it's, it's something to think about. Um, I mean, and, and even just the way that, you know, well, you know, proem is literally like, a, you know, forward to something, but even just the way that, you know, uh, that the, the M-E of me is kind of echoed and reversed in, in the word proem. Mm. Um, it's kind of fascinating, something else I'd never quite noticed before. Proem. Proem. Not in the saying of you are you said. Not in the saying of you baffled are you and said. like a root stopped baffled by a stone. And like a root you turn stopped back questioning by a stone. the tree you feed. You turn back questioning the but tree. But what you the feed. leaves here is not what the roots but ask. What the leaves here inexhaustibly is not what the roots ask. Being at one time what was to be said. And at another at time, time, what, what has be been said, said and at the saying time, of you has been remains said, the living of the you, saying of you never remains to be said. The living of you, never but enduring, to be said. you change with the change enduring, that changes, you change and yet with are the not of the changing of any of and you, yet are not of the ever yourself. Of any of you. you are always about to be yourself, yourself. in something else, you are always ever about with to me. Be yourself. In something else ever with me. That was John and Andrea with the collaborative gift reading of Proem by Martin Carter. Our thanks to Nicholas for giving us his time at such a busy time for him and to Bloodaxe for allowing us to use Proem by Martin Carter which is taken from a collection called University of Hunger. And we will, as usual, have some information on the description page about all the things you've been listening to. I was just thinking it's really nice to have discovered that we can do these international exchanges uh, because you know one of the great things about doing the podcast is that we make it here in London but that we know that people all over the world listen to it and I don't know there's something really satisfying about that. Mm. It's just incredibly exciting to be connecting with people and poems in many places and from many perspectives and really letting the conversation begin here on the podcast but who knows who finds who and what connections can be made. So, Michael, off the top of your head, are there any particular episodes or poems that come to mind from the back catalogue, as it were? Yeah, Restlessness by D.H. Lawrence. That one really stays with me. It's just one of my favourite poems, but also one of my favourite conversations. Mm. Alison was, was just fantastic. So, yeah, if you're looking for another episode to listen to, I would recommend that one. Excellent. We hope you've enjoyed this month's episode, and if you have, do subscribe. We'll be back next month. Until then, thank you for listening. <laughs>